name is Bill Alexander. I am the CEO of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. So what inspired you to lead the fund? Well, I've spent my entire adult life in uh, the public safety profession. I started in the Air Force as uh, what the Air Force refers to as a security police officer. But even in my earliest days, I can recall back um, sitting on the floor next to my grandfather as we would watch chips together, a California Highway Patrol uh, with Punch and John riding motorcycles across the state of California. And of course, I'm dating myself there. But even from my earliest memories, I remember thinking something more than that is just a cool job or it would be great to be you know, riding a fast motorcycle on the highway, there was something really altruistic, something well-meaning, something something more about devoting your life to a cause that you could really get behind and, and a feeling of, um, you know, real contentment that in some way, some way, shape or form, a very few select people across this country are willing to give uh, their lives, their time, uh, sacrifice time away from their family in order to give back to the very communities in which they are living and obviously this great country. And I just felt such a calling for that, even in my earliest days. And I joined the Air Force specifically to be a police officer. And I got stationed at Andrews Air Force Base, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. in Prince George's County, Maryland. Um, and I could tell very, very early on that being a police officer in the military or the Air Force specifically was nothing close to being a police officer in what I might refer to as the outside world. Of course, I don't say that disparagingly to military police officers who are also serving very selflessly and, and do face some level of risk. Um, perhaps more than their counterparts who are just otherwise residing on a base within the borders of the United States. Uh, but I could tell that there was a meaningful difference between police work on a military base, which is relatively confined and self-controlled versus being a police officer um, outside the confines of the military base. And, and I immediately felt that calling. And so I'd served my four years with the Air Force and immediately applied for and was accepted with the Prince George County Police Department and could not have been more thrilled or honored, really honored to have been selected and, uh, of course, that was um, almost 30 years ago now, and it's a completely different time and place now. When I applied, I was literally competing against thousands and thousands of other people for a very few, uh, at the time, 50 open slots. Um, so I really did feel privileged to have the opportunity to get hired by the Prince George County Police Department. I spent 25 years there. Um, I made my way through the ranks. I retired as a senior commander. I, I left as the commander of the training academy for Prince George County. Uh, where we were trying our best to um, train up another generation of young men and women who were pursuing the law enforcement profession. And during my time there, uh, we lost 16, 16 members of the Prince Rivers County Police Department died during my time there, uh, about a dozen of whom I knew personally to varying degrees. And I don't say that to necessarily make the story about me, but I do think that I stand in as a pretty good example for so many in the law enforcement field who know someone personally whose name now adorns what we view as very sacred walls. Of course, the picture of which serves as the backdrop right here behind me. It's the, it is the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial. It's the place where today we memorialize, honor, pay tribute to 23,785 men and women. And I always add the asterisks and counting because unfortunately, every single year, we continue to add hundreds of new names representing the men and women most recently who have died serving us, serving their communities and what I would argue is this great country. And with today, you released the fatalities report, a yearly fatalities report. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So by virtue of us collecting the data related to each uh, case, which represents one of the names on the wall, agencies, public safety agencies from all across the country passed us some relatively sensitive information in terms of how, where, why their police officers are facing fatal encounters. 
And we take that information and we package it together and we judge each one of those cases separately against a relatively strict set of criteria in terms of what we view as a line of duty death. And there's a subset of our board members made up of uh, what we refer to as the names committee, and they review each one of those cases. And if they find that the officer uh, was performing a law enforcement function and was ultimately injured and then succumbed to injuries related to law enforcement work, we view that as a line, line of duty death, and we will subsequently add their name to, our, again, our very sacred vault. So again, that, that data is very sensitive, and, and, and it's a set, data set that we have collected over many, many years. Uh, and it really does give us as an organization a window into the how, where, why officers are dying, facing fatal circumstances out on the street. And so every single year, we try to take a portion of that data reflective of the most recent year prior to give people a sense of again, how, where, why police officers are facing fatal encounters. And also, um, particularly through our officer safety and wellness work, to give agencies and agency leaders a sense of how, where, why officers are facing fatal encounters so that collectively all of us, both those in law enforcement now and those who are in organizations which are sort of law enforcement adjacent, all of us can always be thinking about pushing the boundaries on programs and best practices in an effort to make it safer for the men and women doing the job. And by extension, make it safer for members of the public who they are sworn to protect. So uh, just today, we have released the numbers uh, for 2023. We uh, are reporting that 136 men and women died in the line of duty in 2023. That is a relatively substantial reduction compared to 2022, where we reported 224 such deaths. A big part of that overall reduction is related to COVID-19. Uh, so in 2022, we reported 74 COVID-19 related deaths. Uh, and that itself was a really dramatic reduction from the year prior, where we reported hundreds of COVID-19 related deaths. But here in 2023, we're reporting five COVID-19 related deaths. So you can see right there, that's almost a drop of uh, 70 just by itself, just COVID. But the reality is, is that across the board in every single major category we track, we are seeing for 2023 numbers that are below the year over year numbers that we reported in 2022. We never like to use the term of phrase good news here when we're talking about line of duty deaths. To us, it's not good news to be reporting on even a single man or woman who has died in the line of duty. And obviously, we hope we get to a place where one year we are reporting that no man or woman died in the line of duty in law enforcement. I don't know that we'll ever get there. But but obviously for us and for this year, for 2023 specifically, we would say that it is a welcome trend that the numbers are trending downwards. Uh, so our big categories are other, which are mostly medical events. Uh, firearms fatalities, and then uh, traffic fatalities. So again, all three of those categories are generally down. The one area, even though it is down year over year, uh, which does give me pause is the firearms fatality specifically. I'm not sure that that number is actually reflecting accurately the real danger that I think is increasing on the streets. Of course, I'd be happy to get into how and why I think that, but um, that's a broad overview of the report and why we do it. And while I was doing my research, you guys do... Uh a lot on uh, mental health and I live with bipolar disorder. So uh, thank you for doing that. But how important is it to think about police officers' mental health? I think it's incredibly important. I think it, it was an area in the profession broadly that not a lot of attention was paid to uh, in years past. And by years past, I mean decades ago. Certainly when I first joined the police department, uh, almost 30 years ago now, it was something of a very small subset of the overall topic of discussion or even training. Um, but over time, and certainly over the last 30 years, I think it has increasingly become, and rightly so, a really strong focal point of law enforcement agencies generally, and then certainly law enforcement leaders, 
uh, everybody in their profession recognizes and has recognized that mental health uh, is really strained for the professionals who are doing this job. That, you know, for most citizens across this country over the course of their lives, they might encounter four, five, six traumatic events in their life. Police officers day after day after day after week after month after year encounter countless traumatic incidents that they aren't just observing from afar, but are oftentimes intimately involved with themselves. And there's just no question that that level of stress and the accrual of that kind of trauma over time does have an impact on the mental health of police officers. And it's not that that mental health outcome can't be um, you know, treated. It's not that you can't overcome that level of exposure to trauma, but it's certainly something that agencies and police chiefs and sheriffs need to be aware of, and they must be constantly vigilant about their employees. How are they acting? How are they reacting? What sort of signs may they be exhibiting? Uh, and what levels of help are available and how can we encourage those employees to get that help, whether it's the employee assistance program or a private mental health or a psychiatrist or a psychologist or any number of the avenues that are available. Most major police departments have something equivalent to a psychological services division, certainly the department I left it, and departments have different names for it. But again, I think departments broadly have really recognized that this is an issue. Uh, and the idea that the days of old, the police departments are sort of ignoring mental health or somehow encouraging members to just sort of, you know, man up as the term is and move on with their lives. That is a ghost of a memory of the past. That is not reflected in any way, uh, any department that I've had contact with over the last two decades. And you said a little bit, uh, the question before with uh, firearms and what you think are happening in that situation. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So the number, again, that we're reporting in terms of the men and women who were shot and killed uh, in 2023 is 47. And of course, when we, you know, it's a little bit technical jargony to say firearms fatalities. What we're really talking about is men and women who were out on the street, uh, encountered one or more opposing parties who produced a firearm and then shot with the intention to kill a police officer. Uh, you know, there's a word for that. It's it's murder. Uh, so I would argue that 47 men and women were murdered uh, trying to protect us. That's really what firearms fatalities represents to me. And of course, I am, uh, again, I would say it is a welcome trend that the number in 2023 is lower than it was in 2022. The problem for me is, is that our friends and partners, the Fraternal Order of Police, also recently released their annual report. And while they do touch on line of duty deaths, what they're really focused on is the number of police officers who were shot in 2023. Not necessarily shot and killed, but shot and actually struck with a round. Um, and that's not accounting for the number of police officers who were shot at, but the perpetrators missed. These are officers who were shot at and struck. And that number for 2023 is 378. And it is by far the highest number that they have ever released in while they have been tracking that kind of data. And if you look at the long trend of their data, which they have been tracking, every single year that number has stair-stepped up. And so again, now in 2023, it's the highest that it's ever been. And 378 is really a lot of police officers to be under attack uh, at that level out on the streets of America. So it's hard to, for me to juxtapose that number of 378 shot versus the 47 that we're reporting that actually died as a result of being shot. I think there's a number of factors related to why the number might be lower this year than it was last year. I think in part, the continuing advance in medical care uh, and the treatment of trauma-related injuries continues to advance every single year and gives a greater chance for um, you know, resolution and healing for those kinds of wounds. I think to some degree, the continued advance in technology related to bullet-resistant vests 
uh, particularly um, DuPont that just over the last year and a half, they've released a new um, layer, a new compound used in bullet resistance vests, which makes the vest much lighter and much more adaptable in terms of conforming to a body shape. Uh, I think that um, has helped public safety agencies and leaders um, encourage, if not intensely mandate, that their employees wear bullet resistant vests. I think that's having an impact. And there's another layer of this, um, what I, I see in the sort of soup of contributing to saving lives is police departments across the country for a number of years uh, have been, been issuing and training their officers on advanced uh, first aid kits. At the department I work for, we called it a tactical emergency care kit or a tech kit. Of course, different police departments call them different things, but basically they're really advanced first aid kits. This is not your mother's first aid kit with, say, some Band-Aids and an ACE bandage. It's really much more advanced. It has some chest wound seal uh, packages. It has uh, material that really increases the ability of your body to clot blood and close uh, or hopefully close open wounds. And includes things like tourniquets, which allow you to really close off blood flow on your extremities. And while no one that I'm aware of is actually tracking data and the number of times those kinds of kits have saved a life, I am here to tell you anecdotally that I hear stories that I know for a fact that those kits are saving lives. So I think some combination of those factors is resulting in fewer deaths, which is great, but I don't know that our number of 47 is really reflective of of the accurate picture of how dangerous, and I would argue increasingly dangerous, it is for the men and women out doing the job on the streets today. What do you do to help your own mental health? Well, you know, I'm bolstered by the fact that I'm now retired. Uh, I don't necessarily have to go to work with a bullet resistant vest and a gun on my hip. Um, and I'm also bolstered by the fact that, I mean, I'm very lucky to be here, but it's very gratifying for me, having been in law enforcement my whole entire adult life, to be here to help tell the stories of these men and women, to help carry on their legacy, to help remind the nation that there is and has been a continuing cost preserving our democracy. And that cost every single year is borne out and measured in the lives of my peers, hundreds of men and women who are willing to give their lives to protect us. And so to the extent that I can help carry on that legacy to um, tell the stories, these men and women, to remind the nation to never forget their service and sacrifice, uh, that, that goes a long way towards healing my heart. 